This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 6.31, good evening. Welcome back to The Battle for Malaysia, BFM's GE15 results coverage. I'm Wang Xiaoning with Philip C. Now we are live video streaming from our studio in Kuala Lumpur. Follow us on the BFM app or on Facebook or YouTube and you can find out what Philip and I look like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you might be horrified. But anyway, joining us in the studio for more analysis on factors influencing the outcomes of GE15 is our regular BFM guest and independent business writer, P. Gunasegaram. Welcome, Guna. Thanks for coming on the show again. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. nice to see you in the studio. So first off, let's get uh, your views on what happened in the last, what, eight, nine, ten hours. Uh, did you think that what's going to be the outcome tonight based on what you've seen so far? I think the uh, there has been, I think, a definite swing towards uh, pH and to, to PN in the last two or three days towards uh, mm. towards polling. You know, so, uh, but it's difficult to say how much uh, that swing will affect results. But most polls are predicting uh, most number of seats to be won by pH. You know, and uh, some of them uh, also predict that the total number of BN plus BN seats will still be less than that of pH, which, which will put pH in quite a strong position overall, I think. So we are talking about uh, predictions, 90 or so pH to as much as more than 100 for pH. Can and, I then ask yeah. a broader question? Why do you see this likely to maintain? Because if you reflect on G14, it was a high turnout, 82%, and 1MDB was dominating the whole issue, right, with respect to corruption. Mm. So what's dominating and energising voters in G15 in view that we're already seeing numbers, record number of voters coming out now for G15, 70% so far as of 4pm. What's energising these voters to come out now? I think basically the, the old issues are still alive, but the, the uh, corruption part of it and then uh, the uh, the the ineffectiveness of government during this period, the uh, rapid change in uh, in governments. Mm. So those kinds of, uh, those kinds of things, and then the possibility of a PM, uh, if not a PM, a person who will be pulling the strings behind the scenes to be the main person uh, who faces a slew of corruption charges, you know, so 47 charges, although he has been uh, acquitted of 40 charges you know, in the meantime. So, I mean, we are, we are of course, talking about uh, Zahid. You know? So that is not, uh, I think, a very palatable proposition for most Malaysians, you know, rural or urban. Yeah, I was going to ask you that question. Do you think, mm. because we always try to... You know, this dissect what the rural people feel, and in a way, BFM, we are we're in Tamantun, right? We might be uh, in our little bubble, this urban bubble. Do you mm. think the rural mm. people have a different view in terms of what galvanizes them when they go to the the polling booth? Um, it's pretty difficult to say, mm. but the surveys indicate uh, that the rural people are pretty aware of these things, huh? and the and the popularity, uh, according to the polls, of Zahid is uh, is low. The the highest uh, popularity is with Anwar, followed by Mohidin, you know, and then uh, Ismail Sabri, and Zahid is way down there. Yeah? 
Okay. Mm. So, you know, like you say, the polls already suggest that no one coalition is likely to win a simple majority, although the chance for PH has improved in the last few days. So what kind of political permutations are you expecting, Uh, Guna? Okay. There's an outside possibility that PH might win a simple majority. If that happens, then it's game over. You know, so everything is all right. There's no more maneuvering Mm. and uh, PH takes power. So uh, that will be a nice need income for uh, outcome for a lot of people um, but the if uh, ph uh, gets more than 90 uh, you know parliamentary seats and if they are in a strong position and if the sum total of pn and bn is less than what they have then i think uh, you one cannot deny them the opportunity of having first shot at forming government. So that that, that, that should be the natural thing to happen after that. So let's, let's deep dive on that scenario that PH doesn't get the majority. Mm. It gets 80 to 90 seats. Mm-hmm. So what are its options, right? Does it A, work with BN? B, work with PN, or C, work with other component oh, parties that's as a, well? That's a very wide open question. You know? I mean, like, <laughs> let's uh, go one by one. one, 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 by one. Let's go to, through the three sub- yeah. options here. <laughs> So uh, it, it looks, uh, let's maybe discount the possibility of, of uh, say, PH working with either uh, PN or BN. Mm. You know? So that means then it has to cobble together some kind of support from uh, Sabah and Sarawak. Mm. So, and uh, GPS is uh, famously, famously supposed to be antagonistic towards PH. You know? so, but then in politics, anything can happen depending on what PH can offer them they could still be on board. You know? mm. So if there are 20 plus seats on board, then PH is, uh, the PH is safe home. Eh? So otherwise, uh, it depends on how, say, uh, Warisan and some of the Sabah allies do and how PH itself does in both Sabah and Sarawak. Eh? So what, on that basis, right, what do you think the Sabah-Sarawak parties will demand from PH to make this work? Most likely Malaysia agreement. You know, more, but... But PH has already said in the manifesto that they will implement the Malaysia Agreement. Mm. So, so that that is not an issue as far as PH is concerned. You think it's more cabinet seats than for their side? Uh, yeah, perhaps. Yes, perhaps. You know those kind of things, and then maybe a greater share of all royalty, all of which I think is uh, PH is quite amenable to. You know? So it's more for for Sarawak. It seems to be more a case of personalities. You know. Uh, previously, uh, say GPS was very, uh, very against working with with Lim Guaning and DAP, for instance. You know, but uh, 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 Lim Guaning is no longer section of uh, of DAP. It's Anthony Lok, right? Yeah, it's Anthony Lok. So maybe things could change as far as that is concerned. But at the same time, we keep seeing a lot of press reports that the most likely coalition to form a government is going to be AMNO. And, uh, you know, possibly working with Bersatu, which also, of course, means also pass, which is pretty much what we have before GE15. Yes. Right? Yes. Do you think that's going to be the likely scenario? And okay. But is there too much um, bad blood already between Bersatu and AMNO? I think, uh, the, well, they, 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 they could always work together so long as they can get in power. We cannot, uh, cannot discount that. But in this case here, uh, the question is how many seats will they jointly have? Eh? So... Mm-hmm. If they have, say, maybe about 70 seats, you know, and then even if GPS throws all their support behind, then they still do not have enough, you know, to, to form government. Eh? 
Yeah, and so, I think, yeah, and one of the mm. things that struck me, you know, throughout the interview, and you know, the whole election is how BN is so fractured and disunited. Do you think, as a result of this election, you think BN will splinter off and actually work with different parties, component parties, especially within AMNO? Um, pretty difficult to say. It'll depend on how many seats they win. You know, I mean, according to the Merdeka Centre polls, for instance, uh, they put safe seats, safe seats for BN at only eight. You know, which is which is an incredibly low figure. Yeah. You know, mm. so uh, so if uh, if BN were to perform really really poorly, then probably then they will splinter. Okay, yeah. I'm going to but, ask a really wild question, Gunu. Mm. What about your thoughts of a possible BNPH alliance to form the government? Um, maybe possible. I think I think it's very unlikely, but mm. uh, you can't discount in any, anything in politics. But I think uh, PH will have to say that all court cases will have to continue and there will be no withdrawal of any kind of charges. So that, that may, may, may mean at the sacrifice of Zahid. And as Amno president, Zahid is not likely to agree to that arrangement no? mm. because he will be president until six months after the elections. What has been interesting to also note is that Anthony Lok hasn't been totally uh, opposed to working with Amno either, has he? So is that a possibility where within the PH party, mm. you know, the, the DAP kind of breaks away? I think that, that, that again, I think is an outside possibility because uh, I think uh, DAP can do that only for one term, mm. you know, because after that, there will be an outright rejection uh, from the voters out there of DAP, you know, if you can do something like that and you can be so antagonistic towards Amno and then continue to work with them. I think it may be more worthwhile for DAP to work with uh, PKR and Amana and maybe Muda as well to cobble together a workable coalition. Um, so then uh, they, they have a better chance of playing a greater role in government that way. And for longer. And for longer. And when you just take a step back and I listen to you, it sounds like, you know, whatever permutations we talk about, it's going to be coalition politics for sure, right, coming into the election. How effective is coalition government, you know, when we have so many difficult issues to contend with, right, as we enter to 2023? I think, no, the in one way it is good because you do not have any person who is, who is dominating and therefore you have to take into account the interests and opinions of a much wider group of people than previously, you know. I know so, who you, which era yeah. you're referring to, Guna. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, previously, Amno was, uh, was was the dominant party in yeah, all of this. Yeah, and there was one so, particular yeah. man that was very dominant <laughs> yeah. in the Malaysian politics. <laughs> the yeah. Iron Fist. Yeah. So, so you think those days are over for Malaysia? Uh, it, it looks like there is, but if there is an out, even if there is an outright, uh, say, uh, PH victory, for instance, you know. So, but PH you have to remember is a coalition where they all have to depend on mm. each other to be in power. Mm. So the same thing, uh, because it is a coalition, there is coalition politics even if PH is in power. You see? So nobody will have. Uh, the single uh, strong kind of uh, rule that Amno used to enjoy. At one time, Amno had more than 50% of the seats, you know? so yeah. they could govern on their own. You know? So coalition politics might be messy, but maybe better for governance, do you think so, in the longer term? Because yeah, then there's more yes. check and balance? Yes. You okay. know? Yeah. But I'm curious, Gunnar, just getting your views, how long do you think we will 
it will take for us to form a government. And then this is hypothetical, right? As the night goes on and we get a clearer picture in terms of the vote, you know, how Malaysians have voted and it's quite evenly split. Is it going to be very messy to form a government? How many days will it take? I think... The, the, there are differing views on this, and I, uh, I am not very sure the, about the legalities. Mm. One legal opinion is, well, uh, based on precedent in Commonwealth countries, I think this was written by former uh, AG Tommy Thomas, he offered yes. his opinion. Basically, the coalition which gets the largest number of seats should be invited to form the government, you know. And then uh, they the, the, then they will form the government and they stay in power unless parliament says that they don't command the majority anymore. Okay, and the anti-hopping law, which is in force, right? Mm. Uh, does that change the dynamics of this negotiation? Because in the past, it was much easier, right, where you, certain MPs could just be like a frog yes. and hop over. Now we're talking about whole parties, right? Even even uh, there is one opinion out there with, where e- even if a p- one party leaves the, co- the coalition that it, it contested under, mm. the, the, all the, all oh, the members of the party again. have to be offered an election again. But then that hasn't been tested in court yet. No? When we reflect back on G15, because we've talked about these three major coalitions, do you think independents or smaller parties like Warisan, Pajang, you know, would have made a difference in G15 if you if you have a kind of crystal ball and looked at it, right? Made a difference in G15? Do you think they would have made a difference in the outcome of G15? Yeah. Do you think are they small, going to be like mini kingmakers almost? Or are they now? troublemakers spoiling the vote? They they may be uh, if there is a uh, if there is a hung parliament and uh, and none of the major coalition partners can come to an agreement, then they 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 might play an important role. Okay, we're going to take a quick break for some messages. We'll be back with more GE15 analysis with independent business writer P. Gunasegaram. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. 6.46pm on a Saturday, 19th of November. And of course, you're listening to BFM's Battle for Malaysia. We are going through all the GE15 results coverage throughout the night. I'm Wong Shanning together with Philip C. We are live video streaming from our studio in Kuala Lumpur. So follow us on the BFM app or on Facebook or YouTube. Joining us in studio for more analysis on factors influencing the outcomes of G15 is regular BFM guest and independent business writer P. P. Gunasegram. We're continuing our discussion with him, but this time focusing on what should be the priorities of our next government, regardless of which coalition comes into power. And because this is such a critical issue, we know that for a fact because every poll mm. that has been you know, asked of Malaysians, the number one issue on everyone's mind is the economy, right? Because bread and butter issues are at the core yeah. of our priorities. Mm. So, Guna, I want to know the reality and be the honest writer. <laughs> what is the state of the economy for the next government? What are they inheriting and what are the challenges waiting in the inbox of the next PM? I think a lot of time has been wasted. You know? So uh, the politicking has meant that the that uh, governing the country in terms of economy has taken uh, a backseat. But I think the, the immediate concern, I think, for many people is a runaway rise in prices, some of which is not warranted. You know? Because, I mean, uh, I think uh, we have put uh, control on prices of oil and diesel, you know. So we, we should not have, say, increases in the prices of goods by 20, 30, 40 percent, you know, which is mm-hmm. what is happening in some of the supermarkets. 
Yeah. So you're talking about inflation, essentially. That is the main issue that the government has to tackle. Uh, immediately, yes. They want some kind of uh, thing to ensure that profiteering is not taking place. Uh, so so uh, if you look at it, the, the uh, rise in prices of uh, goods and services is one of the main factors of dissatisfaction among the people. So can we deep dive on this specific issue on the rising cost of living and inflation? And mm. when you contrast the three manifestos, right, of mm. BNP and MPH, who has the most uh, interesting, innovative ideas? Who is the most committed to address this? Mm. I'm not sure about the manifestos itself, but uh, looking at the way uh, at some of the campaign speeches, mm. I think PH has got a far better handle on, on that than anybody else. Now. So they talk about uh, the need to exchange control the prices. For instance, I mean, okay, uh, the Malaysian ringgit has declined against the US dollar and so have all, most, almost all the other currencies. But not many people realize that we have actually appreciated against the Aussie dollar. And yet dairy products from Australia have risen in tandem. And why is that so? And we have actually appreciated, say, almost 15% against the Japanese yen. Why aren't car prices and parts parts prices coming down? So uh, I think uh, because of the obsession with politics, all these kind of uh, price control issues are not being tackled by the government at this point in time. You know? And you know the earlier problem that you had with chicken prices yes. and egg prices and chicken shortages. I mean, you can't have a chicken shortage in a country which exports chicken. You know? So, so that's obviously engineered. And what is anybody doing about those kind of things? Okay, you know? but you know, we, if we look at it, then none of the political manifestos try to address it as much as they should, right? And maybe PH a little bit yeah. more so. So I'm just curious for us, the solutions are pretty obvious. Our problem in Malaysia has always been implementation, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So is that, mm. how do we get governments to actually act because it's not difficult for people to come up with reasonable paths to actually overcome these problems. I think you you need the right people at the top to tackle these problems. They are not really very simple. They are quite complex. Huh? Mm. So the, the thing is, uh, I, I'm talking about, say, rising prices as yes. one of the main things that affect people at this point of time. But in the longer term, you have to think about what, how are you going to sustain economic growth? You know? What is going to be a competitive advantage relative to other countries? You know? So are you going to keep on importing cheap labor uh, and getting these people uh, as workers to produce cheaply, to become a cheap manufacturing center? Because that doesn't benefit most of the people in no, the country. No, only for the business owners, actually. Y yes. So, so the, you need to change the way the economy operates, and it actually requires very deft economic management, which the current government simply does not have. No. All three? All three coalitions, do they have uh, the no, skill sets? I think, I think, I think uh, PH has. You know, uh, well, PN had its chance in government, you know, and they showed that they were not good. Remember the kind at the time when uh, Mohidin appointed uh, all these people who have, don't have any corporate experience to head GLCs, you know, politicians. So how, so how do you kind of uh, explain that PH component? You know, they were in power for 22 months. They, you know, they haven't really demonstrated that ability, right, to restructure. So how do you kind of reconcile that they have the best team? I mean, maybe the concern is that no one has the best team. There. I think the, the, the argument that has been put forward is uh, mm -hmm. for the 22 months, it wasn't uh, 
pH which was in power, but the bersatu component of pH which was in power. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that that was what we saw. Right. You know, I mean, the the manifesto promises. Mahathir said at that time, you know, oh, uh, there were promises they could not have been uh, that should not have been made. You know? So he, he said those things. So, but even uh, even so, if you compare the 22 months under pH with with uh, PN and AMNO, I think they have a far better track record than the other two. You know? Okay, but uh, so you were not impressed with AMNO's budget 2023, which is essentially their economic manifesto, right? Okay, he's, all right. Uh, so that the, uh, I think I think Ismail Sabri did a few things in terms of legislation and other mm. things, you know. But uh, that was with the cooperation and support of actually PH, who undertook not to mm. destabilize him. Uh. So the that's MOU where coalition politics, that's the broader yeah. politi- coalition mm. politics coming into play. I want to get your perspective on investments, you know, and whether when when you hear the manifestos from BN and PN, they talk a lot about stability. I wonder if there's a difference in local and foreign investors, whether they look at the governments very differently and whether large and small businesses also have a very different view about who is adept at managing the economy. I think the uh, while investment is good, that's the that's not the only thing that drives the economy, is it? So you, you have to look at the economy in, in, in the totality of it all. And the... The, one of the most important things in economic growth is you have a trained uh, manpower to be able to improve productivity. Yeah. Yeah? And that relates r- directly back to education, you know? so, which is the other part which has been ignored. You know? The educational standards have dropped. You know, you, we produce thousands, tens of thousands of graduates every year but many of them are not even gaining employment and do not even have the basic skills, many of them, a large number of them, to to be uh, gainfully employed. Uh. Yeah, so unemployment is not yeah. our problem, it's underemployment. Yes, yes. Um, right? Uh, but Guna, the other worry I have is the $1 trillion, you know, $1 trillion ringgit debt that we have hanging over us and the fact that so much of our government money goes towards, you know, paying salaries, pension funds. How do we get out of this pickle so that we have actually more reserves to spend on investments? And we see that year after year with every government. Yeah, the 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 thing is, okay, the, the debt, uh, a lot of the, uh, which one shall we take first? The, uh, the pension part, if we take that, that's easier to ha- handle okay. first because, I mean, here... He, Unless you restructure the pension scheme, you can't do anything very much about it. And depending on how you measure employment within government and uh, what percentage of uh, of employment is under government, you're talking maybe about 1.7 million who are who are employed in government or in government-linked uh, companies. Mm. Well, let's say it's 2 million, you know. The overall uh, number of workers in the country is about 14 to 15 million. You know? yeah. So the vast majority of people are employed outside our government. So that's, a, that's one point to, to make. And uh, you cannot just cut the salaries of people. So when you are talking about, say, spending our government, yes. uh, about 50% it just goes for emoluments and yes. pensions. And you can't do anything very about it. So mm. the other side of the coin is, Improve you do the something, revenue. the other side on the 50%, your <laughs> procurement and yeah. all of those things, and increase revenue, like you said. Yeah, but you know? are we the problem with, I, I notice, or at least an observation, is that all these measures, be it in 
improve our revenue base, which means more taxation, right? Or be more careful with our spending. It's, there's mm. reluctance to it and sometimes it's linked to populist measures, right? Yeah, yeah. So how then do we overcome this? Because nobody wants to I be still, a doubt in the room uh, yeah. and be unpopular. I still think GST was a good measure to improve taxation and then it basically is a, it's a consumption tax. If you consume more, then you pay more taxes. So, mm. so, uh, uh, so it, it's not a punitive tax and there are many, many uh, sort of exclusions which are given. Okay, I've got yeah. one more question for you, Guna, about the economy. What about key appointments at GLCs and GLICs? Are we going to see another round of musical chairs? I mean, how do we handle this? Because every government has been guilty of it. Yeah, I hope that they. Uh, well, the the last uh, the 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 last uh, Pakatan Harapan government that mm-hmm. was done by Daim Zanirin, who was appointed by Mater to mm-hmm. to make the GLC changes. In it. So it wasn't a change which was agreed among all Harapan component parties. But I think as far as possible, if a person is doing his job, just leave him alone. Uh, you know, I think there is no need to change a person because of his political leanings or because you don't like his face or you have a personal vendetta against him. If people can do their jobs, just leave them alone. It's, it's those who don't do the job that you need to change. So your argument is that this is a very different pH from the pH that was in government because of the Brasatu component. I just wonder back to the point about revenue, right? Because mm. pH has, I think, said, look, the key is to actually look at cost cutting and they were not very keen on doing GST and you said that GST is, I think, something we have to do, right? How is pH, if assuming that they will form government, going to address the revenue side if GST is not being considered there? I, I think probably uh, when you look at it, most likely they're not going to say we are going to introduce GST the day mm. after tomorrow. <laughs> and also, for instance, I mean, so I think they, they, they will go on the revenue side in, uh, by maybe trying to get economic growth up, you know, mm. and then cut the obvious uh, cost uh, things down, you know, and set an example. I think Anwar has already said that ministers will get only 50% of the salary. Yeah. And he won't draw a salary, so those kind of things which which uh, which make uh, good sound bites and which sets an example for the others, uh, you know. And remember, there are forty over people who were appointed uh, by by Mohidin last time into GLC positions. So all of these can be removed, you know. Exactly. So that kind of things, and uh, so. And then once you are in the process of fixing the economy, then it is possible to introduce GST carefully and perhaps with an initial rate of something like 3% or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think the messaging has to be better, the right? The sequencing yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. We're going to take a quick break for messages and the news bulletin. We'll be back with more GE15 analysis with Shannon Teo, Malaysia Bureau Chief for the Singapore Straits Times after the 7pm news. Keep it here. BFM 89.9. Backing female ministers. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. 7.18, it is Saturday 19 of November and welcome back to the Battle for Malaysia. BFM's GE15 results coverage. I'm Wong Shaoning and Philip C. Independent business writer P. Gunasigaram is also with us in the studio. Now, earlier we were discussing the state of the economy that the next government will inherit. But another area we're closely watching is the reaction of the markets to GE15 because the FBM KLCI has been range-bound since nomination day. Yeah, notable losers include stocks which have perceived political links such as MyG and Datasonic. Now, if you look back at 2018, there were a lot of GE14 ghosts that spooked investors. Now, the KLCI index corrected by more than 500 points to a low of 801 points in late October 2018. Some stocks even hit multiple limit downs. Now, key losers were construction and tolls, politically linked stocks 
stocks, GLCs and even telcos. So how will the market react post-GE15 if there is indeed a change in government or status quo? Helping us to make sense of this is P. Gunasegara, independent business writer. Now, Guna, we know markets hate uncertainty, yeah. right? That's mm. really what they really cannot stomach. So how would markets react if there really is a hung parliament and no clear winner, assuming Monday trading starts at 9am? I think most likely it'll be downwards and uh, sideways now for a while until the government is formed. And then depending on who is leading the government, um, you could actually see an improvement or uh, or the market will just uh, will will remain as is now, mm, you know, okay. before. And if you just look... If you just look at G14, right, I mean, markets tanked and are still below pre-G14 levels, right? In that scenario that PH manages to pull off a win, you know, how do you think markets will react in that scenario? I think if there is a, if there is no problem with the PH leadership, in, in other words, there is no problem that the coalition will actually take power and, there are, and uh, that is clear. And uh, then... There, there, there might be initial weakness because, I mean, like uh, Shaoning says, uh, markets don't like uncertainty. Mm. But once they can see that pH is clearly able to uh, to have a handle on the economy, then overall it is likely to be positive now. Well, yeah. maybe the positive is that the foreign share holding in Malaysia is already so low, right? <laughs> yeah, in, it can only go up. Yeah, yeah, it can only go up. We are like at the 21%, 22% as of yeah. uh, year-to-date basis. So foreign investors are out. It's a question of local in, local institutionals and maybe some retailers actually participating. So I'm curious, Guna, this is more a, a bigger question. Really, you know, what can rejuvenate our capital markets for any government that's listening, right? I mean, we've never really gone anywhere in the last, what, regardless of time frame, mm. five years, 10 years, 15 years, our KLCI has been pretty much in the doldrums. Yep. The, the underlying, uh, the, the underlying uh, impetus for that will be economic growth and uh, new opportunities. Huh? So mm. those, those, those will be the only things. You know, if, uh, say, for instance, uh, there is a clear path towards uh, economic competitiveness and growth, then uh, then then the markets will, will react accordingly. But markets too tend to be very short-term yeah. nowadays. Yes. And then, so unless you have some projects to offer or some uh, situational plays, you may not see any kind of immediate impact now. But yeah. that's the problem, right? Because when mm. we frame new growth, new opportunities, they tend to be these infra projects, these mega projects, right? Which tend to benefit the large construction players then. Uh, yep. You know, but the also it, it depends on whether there is much more, uh, say, uh, you know, uh, uh, add-on effects to other sectors of the economy when some of these things are done. Oh, like a multiplier you know? effect. Yeah, multiplier effect. Okay, but Guna, I'm just curious, right, also from a perspective of equity markets, right, aside from large projects, a lot of questions about GLCs dominating the Bursa Malaysia, the the index, right? Mm. Should we really look at how these companies are run and maybe be clearer in terms of their objectives, their ROE, their return on equity, Mm. their KPIs? Would that actually help rejuvenate Bursa Malaysia? I I think uh, if uh, I'm... 
I don't think you should sell down the stakes in GLCs immediately. Mm. If you want to sell down, who are you going to sell it to? You know? yeah. There are not enough people in Malaysia to so be able to, to take up this. So it's back to the foreign investors, right? Yes. Uh, the, that's, I think what you should make sure is that you they are not given any special privileges in terms of competing for government co- uh, uh, contracts. And then you have to make that sure that the management is competent, able, and uh, incorruptible. So those things will, will will improve the performance of government-linked companies. Actually, uh, for instance, if you look at Singapore, the Singapore government companies have got a greater involvement in business than even those companies in Malaysia. And they account for a higher percentage uh, of market cap. You know, At one time, it was high as 60%. I but it seems to be acceptable, rate. though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Markets don't seem to reject that. that that's because they, yeah, they they operate on a purely commercial basis. You know? So you're talking about uh, SIA, it's a government company. DBS is a government company. Yes. You know? Yeah. So it's not really about the yeah. ownership, it's about the competency and efficiency of yes. delivering yes. it, essentially. Yeah. And I just want to, one theme that is always a lightning rod, which is tolls. Um, mm. I mean, there's a lot of conversation about abolishment of tolls and such, right? What are the implications of that, you know, for specific counters then? I think unless you have a government takeover of tolls, you can't just abolish the tolls. So because, I mean, uh, there are bond covenants which are based on on uh, projected revenues from increase in tolls over the years. Huh? Mm. So unless unless you offer a market price which is which is acceptable to both sides for the toll operations and you take it over, you cannot just uh, extinguish the tolls. You know? so, uh, and anyway, uh, there is a very high economic cost to do that, you know. And uh, perhaps you just you should just wait until the tolls expire and then uh, and then stop it there instead of continuing to extend the tolls all the time. You know. Okay, the other thing I would like to ask uh, about markets is this question about, you know, where we always seem to have these certain companies feature again and again, you know, uh, or at least certain characters re- re-emerging every time, like they're politically linked. How do we move away from that? Is it possible? I mean, or should we be more strict about certain trading activities I where there's search uh, in volume, yeah. you know what I mean? And then the investigations take a very long time, for example. It, uh, is bus- governance yeah. our problem? Governance is certainly a problem, but you see, the Bursa will not play a major role in this thing. Mm. The, the, the problem is... Uh, 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 patronage and outright corruption sometimes in the award of contracts to certain companies, so that has got to be that has got to be cut. You know, we we, we have to kill it all together at some point or other. Okay? You cannot be uh, be uh, encouraging a group of rent seekers who basically get fat on the efforts of others. You know? So that that has to be cut off in the longer term. Mm. Uh, you should not have. Uh, companies which enjoy these kind of privileges from uh, people in government, that's corruption. That's outright corruption. The other thing I notice is that one of the complaints about Bursa Malaysia is, the, is that it's almost, there's a lack of new economy stocks. Okay, maybe now new economy <laughs> isn't so popular <laughs> because tech has taken a hit. But that was one of the complaints, right? That, you know, we didn't seem to have enough technology stocks. We don't have, you know, why didn't Grab list in Malaysia, for example? Why did they list in New yep. York? So how do we get these companies to, you know, list here? I think it's not so much as uh, listing here. I, if you have a good, strong, properly managed economy, then the stock market will follow, follow accordingly. So when, when you have the basics uh, of the economy in mm. place, then the stock market will have a life of its own. 
provided it is competently run and it uh, it gives space for everyone to to trade fairly and uh, without any manipulation of the market. And extending that conversation to alternative mm. assets, you know, in your assessment, you know, have we done a good job in trying to encourage, you know, alternative assets like crypto or even, you know, with in you know a decade ago our push for islamic finance right we have tried to build a leadership although people have tried to catch up on that area do you see the government you know trying to put in place the right mechanisms to encourage all these alternative inv- assets and investments then i think uh, all right uh, when you say alternative alternative assets uh, what are you talking about in this case yeah no well, the, an example yeah. would be things like crypto for example okay, okay like yeah. alternative assets is something where at our stage of development i think we should be followers and not leaders uh, mm. because we I, i don't think we have the capacity to understand these mm. things so I, i think now with what is happening with crypto it's a good thing that we didn't rush head on and follow many other countries you mean and, singapore yeah <laughs> the market to say 285 million right off am i correct in yeah. us dollar so i mean I, i would say follow what warren buffett said now i do not invest in anything that i do not understand you know and i have never <laughs> understood cryptocurrencies and uh, i don't think many people do same you know? here same here and it was the same thing with uh, what do you call it the uh, the uh, subprime crisis you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Guna, your projections for Monday, assuming hung parliament um, down what? 15, 20, 30, 40 points easily, right? Pretty much. You're talking about points now. Yeah. Well, points possible now. You know? Possible. Yeah. And it will continue to, to decline if there is no firm government formed as soon as possible? I think, I think uh, okay, uh, right now status quo, the market has already uh, uh, factored in Uh, a government which is not very great, which is doing a lot of other things, which is politicking too much. So yes. that is already factored in. So if if you have a government which is doing something for the economy, which is showing a lot more direction, then the market will correct upwards for that. Uh, you know? What kind of direction do you want to see then from the government? What tangible actions do you hope to see that might give uh, you know markets more confidence then? I think in the in the short term it will be say uh, what are what are you doing for for to take care of the economy you know all right mm. uh, the uh, uh, the the increase in interest rates worldwide you know is is causing problems you know, in terms of business costs and things like that are you brave enough to go on your own and maybe you know. Uh, maintain lower interest rates you know and if you do that then you have to there are some kinds of uh, uh, sacrifices that you may have to make uh. so it, it's not it, it's not an easy decision but in the long term what are you going to do for the economy mm. you know what are you going to do to in, encourage foreign investment not only foreign investment but domestics to invest yes. more in the country how are you going to increase productivity levels how are you going to provide a proper trained workforce so that you can move up the uh, the economic ladder instead of continuing to be a low cost uh, destination for investments you know? how true thank you very much yeah. for your time that was p gunasegaram independent business writer now we're heading into some messages when we come back we'll check in with danya naya of bfm news who is in gomba after that we'll also take a big picture look at the future of political reforms don't go away better for malaysia continues when we come back bfm 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.